Hi friends, it's Sarah Michelle. Today on the podcast, we are recapping all of the amazing conversations that we've had in season eight, reviewing the conversations with Dana Ferrand about how to bring our sexual energy to the boardroom, Wrenchy Tim, who taught us how to finish the fight, Ralph Cooper, who reviewed what the heck NFTs are, how to use them, and what they could possibly become in the future. We talked about budgeting. We talked about sales with Salesforce executives, John Patton and Billy Drake. We talked about time management or priority management, as we prefer to say, and how to make a quarterly plan. Colin Potter joined the studio to talk about contracting and quality and when to step away from the DIY and hand it over to a pro. Miss Tammy inspired us with her story of getting started in martial arts after her 50s. And Ramona Schmidt joined all the way from Austria to talk about how to turn a hobby into a business, but more specifically, how to incorporate play and passion into our lives. It has been such an amazing season, and I cannot wait to reflect on some of these conversations. As always, we prefer to keep these conversations uninterrupted. If you also enjoy having these conversations uninterrupted, you can support this podcast by visiting anchor.fm slash successfulish slash support. Another day, another task, think fast with a whole nother mission complete. Successfulish. Pick up the weight, press on, and act on the visions to see. I'm successfulish. Sit back and bask in the glory of all the goals I achieved. Successfulish. Lose a stack, get it back, reinvest, hope with, then I roll up my sleeve. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Successfulish, this season eight recap. I'm Sarah Michelle, and I'm really excited about this season. I think that it we did it a little differently this year. The first year that we did the podcast, we really sort of rolled it out maybe one or two months ahead of air dates. And this last year, we pre-recorded everything ahead of time. And so I haven't decided how I feel about that. I think that there's different ways to go about podcasting and it all just depends on scheduling and life and what works and doesn't work. But this particular round we pre-recorded because I knew that I was going to be moving. I knew that I had a lot of stuff going on in my business coming up. And the fun part of pre-recording everything was that for a good couple months, I just got to enjoy back-to-back conversations with amazingly successful people with all kinds of varied topics and expertise. And that was really fun. And the other fun part is that when I do these recaps, I am doing the recaps only a week or two before they air. And it gives me an opportunity to listen back to the conversations. And I I think that I've said on this podcast before that I am always fully present when I am talking to guests, but I'm also wearing that producer and host hat. So I'm thinking about things like, is there background noise? Are we hitting the talking points? Is the conversation engaging? Are we uh, running out of questions? Do I need to fill dead space or do I need to shorten the conversation? All those kinds of things are going on in my head while we're talking. And so listening back just as a listener is a really cool experience because I get to actually hear things that I missed the first time. And the other cool thing was that with this year, because everything was pre-recorded, when I'm listening back, it's sometimes, I mean, months, some of these conversations were nearly a year ago that we had them. And so that's really fun to re-listen to conversations and try to remember what we talked about. And the other fun thing with doing all of the content ahead of time is that because I had this giant content pool, I was able to sort of group together the conversations. And Some of them were premeditated. I I did know ahead of time that I wanted to do an April Fool series. I knew that I wanted to do a creative series, but a lot of them just sort of randomly collected together. And so that was something fun of being able to do different mini series. And that was really the first time that we had done that on the podcast. And so season eight was a weird one where They randomly fit together, even though they seemed disconnected. And so they were all kind of business and passion and quality and just a a certain success mindset, but in a more um, 
I don't know if career oriented is the right word. They just all sort of randomly fit together. So it was a fun season. I'm excited to talk about some of these. And this is actually the last season of the year where everything is pre-recorded and ready to go. Um, we do have some pre-recordings and some set schedules for season nine and 10, but we're still filling in some of those places. And so can't officially announce what's coming up, uh, but I can tell you that there have been some really great conversations recorded. We had a dog training expert. So if you have dogs, that's going to be a really awesome one to listen to coming up. We also talked to author Trina Stutzman about people pleasing and, I got to say, if you're a chronic people pleaser, you definitely want to listen to that conversation. And even if you don't consider yourself a people pleaser, it's amazing how much there was to take away from that conversation. Um, so there's a lot of good stuff coming up in the future where we're talking a lot about some deeper topics, deeper things that are maybe hindering our success or fueling our success. So Stay tuned. And uh, for the moment, let's jump in and review some of season eight. So we kicked off season eight with a bang. Uh, we had Dana Ferrant in the studio. Dana Ferrant is a former dominatrix and now is a business performance coach. And I feel like there's something um, fun and humorous and mysterious and it feels a little naughty, but also silly. Um, anytime I hear the word dominatrix, I don't know what comes to your mind. Uh, the image that I get is of a scene in Desperate Housewives. Great TV show. Uh, I, if you don't know, have just absolutely terrible taste in television and Desperate Housewives is one of my favorite terrible TV shows. But there was a scene where one of the husbands is having an affair with a dominatrix. And that's the picture that I have in my head. I don't know what comes to mind for you. Um, but to be honest, I have no idea really what a dominatrix does. Uh, it's not something I've ever studied. And I know that shortly before I had Dana on the podcast, I had mentioned it to a friend and she said that one time in her BNI group, a business networking group, there was a dominatrix who came into the networking group. And when she introduced herself and asked for referrals and customers and, you know, the things that you do in business networking groups, everyone kind of looked at each other. Like, we don't know what to do. Like, we, we don't know what to do with this. We, we thought that being a dominatrix was kind of illegal, like being a hooker. Uh, it's not, it's not the same thing. It's not even always about sex, which was interesting for me to learn because I thought that's what it was all about. So it was a fun conversation just from that regard, um, because I'd never talked to a dominatrix. And so Dana shared a little bit about what it actually means to be a dominatrix, what that was like. It was also fun to talk to her because we had similar parallels in our backgrounds. We had both come from religious upbringings and for both of us, reconnecting with sexuality was actually a really big piece in not only unraveling religious beliefs, but in healing and in coming back to ourselves and discovering the full power and potential of who we are. And I think what was really cool about that conversation too, is that Dana did a really good job explaining the difference between sexual energy and sex. And I think that that's something that I, I learned um, because, it, like I said, I grew up religiously. I also grew up in the United States, which is a very sexualized culture, but in a different way than other parts of the country and or other parts of the world, excuse me. And if you listen to, I think it was the second conversation that we had with Dr. Tina Shermer Sellers, she makes a really interesting point about more sex positive countries in this world. Um, and I think she mentioned Denmark and other places in Europe. And what's interesting is that a lot of those countries seem more sex forward. They talk about sex more, they're more open about it. However, um, the data shows that most people had very positive first sexual encounters. It shows fewer teen pregnancies, all kinds of things. Whereas in the U.S., ever since we introduced abstinence training in schools, which 
um, Dr. Tina also pointed out is 80% medically inaccurate information. Ever since we pushed that education and the purity movement took effect, we've actually had an increase in teen pregnancies and unhealthy sexual encounters. And I think that it's really interesting to me, it's interesting researching this and understanding it because I, I just grew up in a very unique culture. I grew up in purity culture. And so I had a very black and white understanding of how sex was meant to be. And then when I was in my thirties and I started dating and I jumped over into, you know, online dating, it was this hookup culture. I just had complete whiplash. I didn't know what to do with it. It was a completely different way of looking at sex. And I, you know, I know I've said on the podcast before, I think both are equally unhealthy. I think that we need to find ourselves somewhere in the middle. And I think that it's, it's personal, but I also think that, uh, universally there is somewhere in the middle that works better than these two extremes. So having Dana on was interesting just to be able to connect on our parallels with that. I think that there is something interesting about reconnecting with our sexuality that reconnects us with our sexual energy. And I think that it's important to discern the difference between who we are as sexual humans and actually having sex. And I think that that's something that is very misunderstood where we think that if people are sexy, we think that if people are overtly sexual, that means that they are just a green light for anyone, anything, anytime. And that's not necessarily the case. And I love that she really discerned the difference in that. And she talks about that sexual energy is really that, that raw animalistic passion that is inside of us. And that is what is contagious. That's what creates the energy that, that gets us to, I don't know, the different meetings and meeting different people and impressing people in the boardroom. And I think that that, that passion and that energy and stepping into the fullness of who we are is really where we become our best selves. And I'm going to touch on this again, when I talk about our conversation with Ramona, because she had a a similar view, um, nothing about sexuality or sexual energy, but about that idea of that inner passion. So Dana was a really fun guest to have. I, I recommend listening to that episode if you are curious about kind of what sexual energy is, uh, what the difference between sexual energy and sex is, if you are curious about what a dominatrix actually does. Um, and if you're looking for some practical tips on how to reharness that inner energy so that you can be more successful, not only in the boardroom, but anywhere that you present yourself in life. The next conversation was with Renchi Tim, one of my favorite humans. Uh, Renchi Tim was my Krav Maga instructor for the last couple of years when I was in Connecticut, and he's just a phenomenal instructor. And I I feel extra confident in saying that now that I have moved. Um, when I moved, I tried about five different dojos trying to find a new home for Krav Maga, and it's not that any were bad. Um, But there's something about comparison, I think, that makes you just see the differences. It it really made me, um, I appreciated Wrenchy Tim before, but now having a comparison of five different environments, I just really have an admiration for his teaching abilities. And one thing that I really loved about working with him is that in most martial arts, there's a very student instructor type mentality. And there's sort of this wall or barrier between the two of you where, you know, you have to kind of earn the right to show respect to the instructor. There's a lot of weird respect and bowing and, um, you know, the names and like master and sensei and Renji and all that stuff that I don't fully understand. And I don't mean any disrespect to the culture. It's just something that I, I personally haven't understood because that's not in my world. Um, But what I love about working with Frenchie Tim is that while there was that dynamic and we did all certainly respect him as the teacher of the class, he was also quite young. He was younger than I am. And because of that, he was also really good friends with most of us in the class. We would actually hang out outside of the dojo. Uh, He would go, you know, to Dave and Buster's or hit the bar or go hiking or, you know, all kinds of different ways. And so 
it was really cool to get to know someone on different levels like that. And he is just one of my favorite people to spend time with. Um, but he joined the podcast to talk about finishing the fight. And this was a third or concluding part of our three-part self-defense series, which started a few seasons ago. We had two different guests, uh, Cynthia Jolicua Rude, who talked about how to avoid the fight in the first place. We talked about emotional safety, recognizing the red flags or the danger signs. And then we had Renchi Rob, who talked about what to do if you're in the fights and fighty te- fighting techniques. And so Wrenchy Tim came on to talk about finishing the fight and how do you actually finish and walk away? And we did talk about the literal finishing a fight, but we also talked sort of about the metaphorical finishing the fight. And it wasn't until I was on that podcast that I started to understand really what that had done for me in my life. And what was interesting was that I had never really thought about myself as a fighter before. I had never really thought about life in that context. And I I didn't really know Renji Tim very well when we had this conversation. We had it not that long after I had just started Krav. Um, But I realized as I was expressing my experience with Krav and what I had learned, there were so many metaphors and parallels that I had learned in my life about the difference of being a punching bag versus finishing the fight. And for me, I'm naturally a peace-oriented person. I don't want conflict or confrontation. I want everyone to be happy. I want everyone to get along. And growing up, particularly in childhood, I had a very non-peaceful home. I had a very non-peaceful environment around me, not even just in my home. Uh, In my first job that I had, um, I just... I tended to find myself in very toxic and chaotic situations with very toxic and chaotic people. And I got very good at being the the mediating punching bag. I was very good at diffusing conflict. And the way that I would diffuse was by absorbing all of it and letting, you know, this person, whoever it was, get out all their anger and frustration, being very calm, kind of taking it as it came, not fighting back, not escalating they would calm down. They would walk away. Everything would be fine. I would breathe and recover and then just wait until the next time that they had a mood. And this became a pattern in my life. And it was not until I started Krav Maga, um, Krav Maga, excuse me. And I I won't go into the the story of all of it. You can re-listen to that episode um, where I go into more detail, but essentially I began to learn the difference between being defensive and sort of just blocking and defending from the punches that were coming at me versus finishing the fight. And the whole mentality in Krav Maga is to get in and out as safely as possible. Um, I think their mantra is actually something about so that the world can be at peace. And I think that maybe is a conversation for another day about the difference between being a peacemaker and a peacekeeper. Um, But I think that it really taught me that there's a difference between when someone attacks you of just sitting there and defending yourself and hoping that you can defend yourself until the attacker poops themselves out versus someone attacking you. And, you know, in Krav, you go in very, um, very defensively to begin with. It's a lot of open palms like, hey, man, I don't want any problems. But as soon as someone throws the first punch or makes it makes it very clear that their intention is to cause harm. You do not just sit there and defend yourself. You switch. There's a something that just switches in your brain and you become the, not the attacker, but you become the aggressor. You become the one who says, okay, enough of this. We're going to end this right now. We're not going to have this fight. And you end it as quickly and safely as possible. And I think that there is something that we need to learn to switch that gear in our heads And I think that in many ways, especially if we grow up in an unstable environment, we become fearful of conflict. We become fearful of confrontation. And I think that learning that there is a difference between conflict and confrontation versus spinning in circles with an unhealthy, toxic person, I think when we learn that and we learn how to shut it down very quickly, 
it actually creates more peace because we realize we don't have to live in this world of walking on eggshells and just holding our breath and hoping that there's no more chaos. We can put an end to it. So highly encourage that conversation. If you are in Connecticut, highly encourage you to go train with Renji Tim. Uh, he is at Gabriella's Martial Arts in Waterford. Highly recommend him. Um, but it was a really good conversation. And if you are in any way wanting to learn self-defense, it's great from that regard. But even if you are not, I think that the act of finishing the fight and personal safety is something that is just relevant to everyone. I think that that's something that should be taught in schools. I think everyone should learn what safety looks like and how to achieve that. So definitely check that out. The next episode was with Ralph Cooper, who has been on the podcast before, um, but he rejoined us to talk about what NFTs are. And this was a fun conversation because, uh, in between the time that I had invited him on the show and the time that he was actually on the show, I had actually talked to a partner agency that I've been working with for years. And I don't know if I should disclose this on a global podcast. I'm going to hope that they don't listen. And if they do, I'm going to hope that they have an understanding and appreciation for my ability to learn things quickly. Um, but I'd been working with this agency for a couple of years doing writing for them. And when I reached back out about renewing our next writing round, they said, hey, we really want to do a pivot. We want to be fully into the NFT world. And I had never heard of an NFT. I'm very behind the times when it comes to technology and geeky stuff. Um, I just, I'm not, that's not a space where I'm very educated. And I had never heard of an NFT. I assumed it was some kind of fancy marketing language. So I was very confused when I Googled it and started seeing things about monkeys and digital pictures and cryptocurrency. And I educated myself really quickly. I actually had a conversation with someone who used to train in Krav Maga with me. Another friend from the dojo had mentioned that they were very educated in the space. And so they graciously agreed to meet with me over coffee and they explained NFTs to me. We had a great conversation. And so I was able to write a whole year's worth of content for this client, all about NFTs, how to use them for your business, how to be successful with them. So that was a fun learning project for me, but coming on the podcast, it was fun because I actually had now some kind of educational background in the topic. And so Ralph did a really great job of explaining what NFTs are, um, but also we had really good conversation just speculating about what we think they can become in the future. And it's just that aspect, the philosophical aspect and trend predicting. I think that that fascinates me regardless of what topic it is. Um, so if you are interested in what NFTs are, or if you already know what NFTs are and you are just curious about two different perspectives about what Rolf and I uh, don't necessarily agree could possibly be the future, it's a really fun episode to listen to. It's always fun for me to talk to Ralph. He comes from Germany. So he has, he's been an entrepreneur, I think since he was 14, he is just a wealth of knowledge and has a lot of experience globally. And so I always value hearing his insights and his perspectives on how things differ in the different parts of the world. Um, particularly when it comes to, I know a couple of times that he's been on the podcast, we've talked about gender dynamics and that was an interesting part of the conversation with NFTs as well, as far as why NFTs might pertain more or appeal more to men. Um, so really fun conversation. I highly recommend listening to that one if you have an interest in NFTs or if you just have an interest in philosophical debates. The next conversation was on budgeting. This was an interesting conversation to have because... I think I've mentioned on the podcast before that I do not consider myself a financial expert, that of all the categories we talk about in Successful-ish is the one that I feel holds me most back. And I know that even though the premise of this podcast is to redefine success and that I believe that passionately, logically, the idea that success is rooted in wealth and fame is still deeply embedded in my brain. And so finance is something that I think... I, I don't know, maybe someday when I'm a millionaire, billionaire, I will feel successful. Maybe I never will. I don't know. Um, but I have really been trying to redefine that. And 
something that I had to think about when it came to budgeting was that while I often am down on myself for not having as much money as I would want to have, I also think comparatively, I haven't had debt since two years out of college. I paid off all my school loans within two years of graduating. I have paid off any vehicle that I've owned within a couple of years of owning it. And I think that that's very rare in today's society. And I think that often when I view myself as less financially successful, I'm looking at the wrong metrics. I think that I really had to challenge myself when I was feeling like a financial failure because I didn't have as much money as I wanted. I had to also realize I live debt-free. I don't have to set an alarm clock, rarely if I have an early meeting, but I haven't really had to live by an alarm clock in years. I was able to travel the country by myself last summer. I have so much freedom to be able to enjoy my life. And I think that a lot of that is because regardless of how much money I've had, and I've had a lot, I've had a little, I've had in between, I've had nothing. I'm very good with managing what I have. So I really wanted to share my personal experience and thoughts and expertise on how to live with a budget. I'm sure that someday in the future, I will have a financial budget expert on the show, but I wanted to share from a more personal perspective because I feel like that is often more relatable. And I really wanted to encourage everyone. It is possible because I have lived in my life several times um, below the poverty line because life happened and I had to figure it out. I've lived on really good salary and I've lived on next to nothing. And there are certain tools and practices that have really helped me rein in the budget. They've really helped me live within my means, but also feel wealthy as I'm doing that. And so that was something that I really wanted to be able to share. And I think that if that's something, if you are working on creating a budget or if the word budget is like a curse word for you and you feel uncomfortable with it, listen to that episode. And I hope that it will be encouraging and helpful. The next conversation was on sales. And if you are going to get sales expertise from someone, getting it from the top sales people at Salesforce, possibly the best sales platform in the world, that's who you want to talk to. I got extremely lucky with the guests on that episode. We had John Patton and Billy Draper. They are both just lovely people. They're so fun to talk to. They have just great senses of humor and also great sales expertise. You can tell why they are so gifted in sales. And they really, um, they shared a lot of sales best practices and this particular episode was more so for the person who says, I hate sales or I suck at sales, or I know nothing about sales. This conversation was more for you. If you are someone who does sales for a living, or you are already in that world, or you just want more advanced sales strategies, There's probably still some helpful information, but I would say stay tuned for future conversations. I would love to have the two of them back on the show. Um, But this particular episode was more about basic sales and they really did a good job. They they shared some sales horror stories. Uh, We had a conversation about cold calls and whether or not those were effective. Um, So if you are looking for any kind of sales expertise, or if you believe that you are not a salesperson or that you don't like sales, um, definitely listen to that episode because uh, it's not true. Every single person is in sales in some regard or another. So lots of good wisdom in that episode. The next conversation was about time blocking or time management And this one came up because every episode that I have a guest, I ask, what is something that you failed at this week? And almost universally, people say time management. And a lot of that is, oh, I just bit off more than I can chew or, you know, whatever it has to do with like, oh, I just don't have time to do what I need to do. And that's a personal pet peeve of mine when people tell me that they don't have time for something because we all have the same 24 hours in a day. The reality is that we all have time to do exactly what we want to do. And I think particularly we saw that during quarantine, we had all the time in the world. And a lot of those things that we have said, oh, I'll do it when I have time. 
still didn't get done. And I think that we use time as a scapegoat a lot of the times. And I think it's really important to have autonomy and accountability and responsibility and to realize that we are in control for the most part of what we do with our time. And even if we choose to give our time to something like a job, it's still a choice. We are choosing to give our time to a career because we prefer that to unemployment or we prefer that to the struggle of entrepreneurship. And so a lot of times when we say, I have to do something or I don't have time for this, it's putting ourselves in a situation where we don't think that we have as much power and autonomy and control as we do. And I think that it's really important that instead of saying, I don't have time for this, we instead say, this is not a priority for me right now. And to see how that taste is coming out of your mouth. If you find yourself telling someone in a relationship, whether it's your kid or a romantic partner or a friend, this is not a priority right now. It's not a priority for me to spend time with you. It's not a priority for us to be together. Maybe pay attention to that and maybe pay attention because the two things that really never lie are our money and our time. We put our money and our time to what matters. And if you really want to know what your priorities are in life, do a financial audit and a calendar audit. Look at how you're filling up your calendar. Look at how you're spending your dollars. And that will tell you what actually matters to you. So that conversation, it's all about reframing how we look at time management versus priority management. And I also share some tips on how I manage time, how other people manage time. And so there's a few different uh, tips and tricks that you can pick and choose what works best for you, because I think that all of us operate a little bit differently. Um, But if you find yourself saying, I don't have time for this, or if you find yourself overbooking or struggling with time management or priority management, definitely give that episode a listen. The next conversation was on quarterly planning. And this one was more so geared for the business owner or the entrepreneur who has to come up with an official quarterly plan. But I feel like the same process is really helpful for even if you have career goals, if you work for someone else, or if you have personal goals, if you are just trying to reach those goals and make a personal quarterly plan in your life. I do quarterly planning every quarter um, for myself, for a lot of my clients. And so I share some of the best practices that I've developed to be able to do that. And I think what I love about quarterly planning is that when we have our big goals, it's, it's often a little too vague. I think we need to make it more specific, but I also think that we need to give it time to be consistent and to reevaluate and to see if it works. And I think 90 days is a good amount of time to really generate a habit. It's a good amount of time to really test whether it's a new content campaign or you're trying a new direction on what you're sharing on social media, or you're trying a new hobby, or you have a fitness goal, whatever it is, sticking with something for 90 days is a good amount of time to really get yourself into the groove, to see if it works and to give yourself enough time to pull some data. And so that you can be even more successful in the next 90 days. So that's a, that's a fun conversation, uh, particularly if you are in entrepreneurship, but if you are goal oriented and you're looking for ways to be a little bit more successful with your goals and to really break that down, check out that episode on how to quarterly plan. Next on the podcast, we had Colin Potter from Potter Quality. Colin is also one of my favorite people to talk to, mostly because I just really love to listen to him. Um, He has a lot of interesting things to say. He has a lot of interesting perspectives, Uh, but mostly I just really love his voice. I don't know what you thought when you heard the episode, but I, I hear James Earl Jones Uh, especially the day that we recorded, he was in a very echoey room and I just kept hearing in my head, everything the light touches needs shiplap. And that's all I could hear was that James Earl Jones voice. Uh, But Colin is a really interesting guy. He is very much like I am. We're very wired similarly in that we both have this for better or worse this itch to just constantly do more, constantly be better, 
and we're both chronic overthinkers. And so we, we relate a lot in that entrepreneurial mindset, in that success mindset, in um, sometimes being a little too ambitious and introspective for our own good. But we also have very different views on um, a lot of different uh, life and business philosophies. We have different approaches to what we think generates success. And so I love having conversations with him because it's a different perspective and I, I like to be challenged. And when I hear someone say something that I think, oh, I don't agree with that, that's wrong. For me, that's such a fun cue to stop and check myself of, okay, well, is it actually wrong or is, do I just have a different opinion? Do I just have a different perspective? And it pushes me to think and really find that difference between objective truth and subjective truth. And what I mean by that is that there are things that are objectively true. The sky is blue, but there are also things that are subjectively true, like, um, chocolate chip cookie dough is the best flavor of ice cream. That's not objectively true. That's just my opinion. And I I know that's a really silly example, but when it comes to business philosophies, for example, I don't know that there is something that's objectively true in terms of what generates success. I think that people have different philosophies because different things work for different people. And so I like being challenged. I like talking to people who have those different perspectives, different views. And it was a fun conversation because we talked a little bit about his belief and his, um, his brand value of quality, what that means to him, what it means to put your name on something, to put your reputation behind work that you're doing. And we also talked a lot about contracting. That was the focus of the episode. And I feel like many people, particularly post-COVID, a lot of people are doing home renos. A lot of people are becoming DIYers. A lot of people have had really awful contractor stories. Um, I think we shared a couple on the podcast. And so it was fun to have that conversation. He really breaks down what questions you should ask, what you should think about before hiring a contractor. He talks about some resources of how to be better at DIY, what projects are maybe better suited for DIY, um, and which projects should definitely not be suited for DIY. When is it time to bring in the contractor? So If you are in any type of home where you're doing home renos, or that's something that you might be thinking about in the future, definitely listen to that episode. He has a lot of wisdom to share in the contracting world. We also have some fun uh, DIY gone wrong stories, which I always love hearing. Would love to hear yours. If you have any, uh, email them over to us, embrace the ish at gmail.com. And it's a, it's a fun conversation for those helpful tips and tricks regarding contracting. And if you are in Connecticut, if you're in the new London area, check out Potter quality. Colin is really exceptional at the work that he does. And I love following him on social media and he he's kind of split between his personal and his business. So his personal page has a lot more kind of inspirational quotes. And that's, that's more so where I find the things that I think, huh, I don't, I don't know that I agree with that, but okay. Um, and that's the fun challenge of challenging my views. And it is, uh, a lot of it is really motivational and encouraging. So check that out for your daily dose, but also his contracting page, Potter quality on Facebook. I love looking at all the pictures of all the projects, but I also kind of want to unfollow him every time I see one because he is ruining my future house by making my wish list impossible to fulfill. Because every time I see a picture of a new project, I think, well, now I have to have that. And so now my dream house has become like multi, multi million, if not billion dollars with all of these different fun features that I want. And the latest uh, that he just posted was a rolling bookshelf that covered a secret passageway underneath the staircase. And now that I have seen, I mean, I've always wanted 
kind of a secret lair in the house. Like who doesn't, that seems so fun, but I always thought that it was something really intricate. And now that I know that it is as simple as just putting a bookshelf on wheels and using that instead of a bedroom door and having your secret bedroom hidden with a rolling bookcase. Now that I know that it is actually attainable, I have to have it. I have to have a rolling bookcase door that is a leads to a secret room, my, my secret library or my secret tea and coffee room or my secret drawing room. I don't know. I haven't decided what I'm going to do in my secret room yet, but I know that the entrance is going to be a rolling bookcase. So check his stuff out on Facebook. Uh, he does really exceptional work. The next guest we had was Miss Tammy. She is such a fun inspiration. She's a really fun, quirky person to talk to. And I really enjoyed talking to her because it particularly, I I lived in Connecticut for a few years and I know I have talked about some of my views on the state. Uh, It's a very lovely state, but it is not a very young state. So I had a lot of older friends. Um, I was in business networking groups where most of the women in that group were kind of in their fifties to 60s, seventies. I uh, did volunteer work where it was mostly older women. I, I just also tend to be an old soul. I think that I I've learned that every time I think of things that are really fun, like going to the theater or going to dinner early enough that you are beating the crowd and you're in bed by nine, I'm just kind of an old soul anyway. But I have a lot of older friends. I have a lot of friends who are in their 50s, 60s. And what's interesting to me is that I have some that are very passionate and vibrant. And I honestly forget that they're not my age. Like we go to concerts together. We work out together. We have dinner. It's just, it's a fun, natural friendship. And these tend to be the friends who stay very active. They still have passions and things that drive them. They're still very connected to the life that they're living I also have a lot of older friends who, um, this tends to be not so much the friendships, but more the ones that I run into at networking events or certain social events, more acquaintances, or the neighborhood that I was living in. It was a an older neighborhood. And there were also a lot of people in their 50s and 60s who sort of made you concerned that death was around the corner. And I would forget, wow, this person is only 50. They're only halfway through their life. And I think that the difference is that it's that passion. It's that mindset, that passion piece. And I think that there's a huge difference between living your life and being connected and constantly learning and growing and realizing that every new season comes with new opportunities to know yourself, to try new things. But I think that when we get hung up on a timeline that we had or this narrative that is often pushed that says that we have to have everything figured out by the time we're 30. When we get older, we start to feel like it's too late. And even me in my thirties, I've had moments of feeling that I've had moments of thinking, well, you know, I'm not married. I don't have kids. I missed that boat. It's too late for me. Or, you know, I can't start a new hobby or a new class or whatever. It's going to be all little kids. I missed that window. And I think that we really cheat ourselves when we have that philosophy. And I I think that it's so important that we remember that life is here for us every single day and that age is truly, yes, there are some changes that happen with our bodies. There, there is something to getting older, but also when we take care of our health, I think we're able to accomplish a lot more longer than we think that we can. Plus we have the wisdom and the life experience. And I'm always encouraged by people like, um, rich Roll. I think got started kind of in his fifties. I love that Sarah Blakely talks about not even kind of thinking about marriage and relationships until her late thirties. 
And I just, I love that reminder. We had Dennis Selkie on the podcast uh, a season or two ago and in the April Fool series. And he went back to school to get his architecture degree 30 some years after starting because he wanted to pursue his dream. And it's such an important reminder that with all the pressure that this culture puts on age, a lot of the limitations are in our own heads. And I loved that reminder talking to Ms. Tammy, who didn't even start in martial arts until her fifties. And I have to say, I started in my thirties and it was rough on my body. The, uh, the first time that I went into a Krav Maga class, I pulled an ab muscle. Um, I had never pulled a muscle before. I, I guess I didn't realize how spoiled I was. I, I hear myself now and I know uh, how spoiled I sound, but I just didn't realize I took for granted that all the way up through my 20s, I could go from literally not doing any kind of movement or exercise and I could just go run into a two hour fitness class and walk out maybe a little bit sore, but fine. I, for most of my life through my twenties, I could eat cheeseburgers and chips and crap every single day and still be a size two. And turning 30, that changed. My metabolism changed. My body changed. Um, I, I have to stretch. That's no longer just something, you know, fun that you do like, Oh, I'm doing yoga because it's cool and hip. Like, no yoga is actually uh, prescribed by my doctor. That is where I'm at in my thirties. It's a survival tactic. And I think that I have such admiration for someone like Miss Tammy who got started in her fifties and worked her way all the way through a black belt. And I not only being able to push your body in your fifties to be able to do that, which is extremely impressive, but also for me, the, for me, the bigger thing that impressed me was that she was willing to be in a beginner class with a bunch of little kids and teenagers as a grown woman. And I don't know why that is such a hard thing for me. And it was kind of funny on the podcast talking about that. She was sort of almost put off by that question or um, just didn't really understand it because to her, she's like, well, why? Like, that's not a big deal. We're all learning. I learn from them. They learn from me. And for me, I think that I get so self-conscious about that. Um, and I, I've been the oldest person in the room. I've, I've been the... You know, I think I was a junior or senior in high school when I wanted to try ice skating and I quit because everyone in the class was four and I just felt wildly out of place. And there's been so many times where I just, I don't like to stand out. I don't like to be um, the only person where no one else looks like me. And I don't like to be the beginner in a room full of advanced people. And I have gotten better about that because I think that sometimes that is the best place to be. And I, I think that there is something really important about putting ourselves in uncomfortable situations that push us. I think that it's so important that, you know, in my business, I've continually had to put myself in networking circles that make me uncomfortable and I have to learn to be comfortable and it challenges me to rise up to the level of people around me. And I, I just had such admiration for that. And I think that, I think that that is something that often keeps us from getting started is if we don't see anyone that looks like us, or we think it's too late, we don't want to be the beginner. We're afraid of failing in front of people. And the reality is that it really doesn't matter what other people think. If you want to go learn something, if you want to try something, go learn it. And if someone makes fun of you for showing up and putting your best self into something and trying to learn a new skill, honestly, that person sounds like an ass. That's someone you don't really care about anyway. That's not someone who is going to be constructive to your life. And so I think I continually need to remind myself of that. I think it's so important to remember that 
we only have one life, whatever it is that you want to do with it, whatever it is you want to learn or try, even if you go try it once and decide that you hate it, go try it. I think that it's so important to remain curious and to continue expanding our, our skills and our passions and our hobbies, which leads us to our final guest of the season, Ramona Schmidt, who joined all the way from Austria. Ramona is one of the most lovely humans I have ever had the pleasure of talking to. I thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. She's just one of those people. I just wanted to talk to her for hours. And I think that the world is a very heavy place. Often there's a lot of cynicism. There's a lot of heaviness. I certainly live very cynically and often jaded. And it's rare, I think, to meet someone who still has a passion for life, a playfulness, and it, it's inspiring. It, it kind of brings you out of whatever gray cloud mood and it puts you back in a moment of, oh yeah, I forgot that life can actually be really great. And I just thoroughly enjoyed the conversation with her. It, originally, the topic was supposed to be how to successfully convert your hobby to a business because her hobby was dance. She was very passionate about it. And she found a way to turn that into a business by teaching other people dance. And it was funny as we were talking, because that word hobby just really kind of irked her a little bit. And she made this really beautiful point of saying that to her dance was not a hobby. A hobby is an activity that you sometimes do for fun. Take your leave when you have time For her, dance was a passion. It was a part of her life. It was something that she has to do every day, just in the same way that she would have to feed herself or drink water every day. And I, that challenged me. And I really loved that because I have been a hobby dabbler my whole life. I've never really had a hobby or a thing that was mine, Um, And I think a lot of it goes back to that anxiety of not wanting to be the worst in the room. And some of that I know comes from having very high pressure at home and um, those parental dynamics. uh, And part of it, I'm sure was on myself as well. But I have tried a lot of things. I've, you know, I've done kayaking and I've done dancing and I've done, um, I don't know, bowling, rock climbing, like all kinds of things. I really, I like to try new things. I'm constantly trying new things, exploring, having fun, challenging myself, but I had never really had something that was like an ongoing hobby that was a part of my identity. And I think it was interesting when I think back to the very beginning of this podcast, where we introduced the different topics and hobbies was one of them. We talk about the different categories of success being our overall identity, our relationships, our health, our work, our finances, and our fun or our hobbies. And when we had that conversation, I, my co-host at the time, Mark, he really led that conversation because he has hobbies. He paints little figurines and fights with other people who paint little figurines. I think I'm describing that correctly. It's kind of a weird hobby, Um, but he loves it. And that's his thing. He also, I think, does bike riding and he has things that are kind of his hobbies. So he really led that conversation. And I struggled with being able to figure out where hobbies fit in success And talking to Ramona reminded me of that conversation and challenged me to think about hobbies differently and to think about it as more so a passion. And she describes the importance of playfulness and learning how to be playful and playing every day and finding that thing that makes you feel alive, that keeps you grounded, that that makes you thankful to be there, that makes you feel inspired. And I started to think when we had that conversation, I thought about my Krav Maga and Muay Thai boxing, which has become my 
hobby, I guess. But as she was explaining this, I started to think, and I thought, you know, I've never described my training as a hobby. I've said that it's something I do. It's something that I do every day. And it's something that has become such an important part of my life. I don't think of it as a hobby. I think of it as just training. I have to do it every day, the same way that I have to feed myself every day. And I think what is interesting about discovering that is that I I had never, like I said, I never had something like that, that I was so passionate about. I think the closest that maybe I can think to passion, um, I did cheerleading in high school and I was very passionate about being the best at that, but it wasn't, it was not like bring it on where I, you know, ate, drank, slept cheerleading. Um, religion was a different kind of passion. I was very passionate about sharing the gospel when I was in that world, but that also was a little bit different for me. Krav and Muay Thai was really the first time that I found something that reconnected me with myself. I found something that gave me energy. I found something that challenged me and inspired me. And it was this passion that made me feel alive. And at the time that I started it, I really was struggling hard with depression and, you know, we had just gone through a pandemic. I had just recovered from uh, the first wave of stress of going through a divorce. And I had finally got my business finances to a good place only to have a pandemic, knock it all down. I was living with a very stressful landlord, um, who wanted to be in my apartment all the time. And it, it was never positive conversation. It was always, they needed something or something terrible was happening in their life or someone else's life that I didn't even know. And it was just, it was a lot of, um, it was a lot of stress. It was a lot of chaos and it was a lot of having to find ways to very kindly reassert boundaries to someone who had literally no understanding of boundaries. It was extremely stressful. I was feeling like I was stuck in Connecticut. I was in this remote place where no one was around me. I really was struggling And I started doing Krav and Muay Thai, and I really felt like that was my saving grace. And I actually, it made me smile when I moved because I realized, oh, I'm actually really sad to leave this. And I never thought that I would have anything that would make me sad about leaving Connecticut. And that dojo, like they really became my family. We became very close friends. I, we will be lifelong friends. It was such a, it was such a happy place. It was something that just really gave me life. And that's the best way that I can describe it is that that was the fuel that I needed in the same way that you think about having to put gas in your car to make it go, or having to charge your phone battery to get it to operate we as humans, we also need fuel and that fuel looks like food and water and oxygen, but it also looks like community relationships. It looks like contribution. What are we contributing to the world? It looks like, um, being able to provide for ourselves. It's all the different things that we talk about being successful-ish. It's not that these are magic tips to being successful in the traditional definition. It's that these are the things that make us whole and healthy. This is the fuel that we need to be our best successful selves, because that's what success is. Success is, you know, we all have different metrics for having successes, but at the end of the day, being a successful person means that when your head hits the pillow you feel good about who you are and what you did that day. You feel like you are your true self, your best self. And it's not about continually being perfect or this high performance kind of thing. And that that's great to have high performance successes, but the whole concept of being a successful human is about really loving yourself and being fully you 
And I think that having that passion is often the missing piece to that. You know, we're trying to fuel ourselves, maybe with food, maybe with exercise relationships. We kind of got these different categories, but we're often so busy, usually stressing about the work and relationships and money categories. And maybe we introduce the health category. We often forget about the fun. And I think that that it's, I think that we sometimes have this mentality that fun is a treat for after we work hard. You know, when you're a kid, you finish your homework and then you get to go to recess or you get to play. But as an adult, that homework never ends. The to-do list is never going to end. You have to give yourself recess breaks. And I think that particularly in the U.S., we live in a culture where we for whatever reason, think that that's shameful, that we have to be workaholics, that it's irresponsible for us to have fun if there are still things on the to-do list. But the reality is that there will always be things on the to-do list. And I think that it is imperative to prioritize fun, to have something in our life that is just for passion and play that connects us with ourselves. that refuels that energy. And I I love that uh, Brendan Burchard talks about when we're low on energy and we kind of think, oh, I need energy. And we almost expect this magic fairy to bring it to us, but energy is generated. So if we're feeling low on energy, we have to go produce it. And I I know we often get caught in that cycle of, I want to work out, but I have no energy, but I got to work out to get the energy to want to work out. Like it's this ongoing cycle. Someone has to start it. And that someone is you. And I think that I, I just really loved that reminder to play every day and the importance of play, the importance of curiosity and finding something to be passionate about, whatever it is. And so I, I just genuinely loved that conversation. I loved Ramona. She is such a joy. Uh, I promise you, if you listen to that conversation, you will walk away feeling a little bit lighter and with a smile on your face. So that was season eight. So many fun conversations. We talked about a lot of different things. And I think that something that I, I just continually keep learning as I'm going through the podcast, I think that podcasting has become very trendy. Um, so it, there's a lot more people producing podcasts and listening to podcasts and, um, it, it's fun to learn as we go along. I think it's fun to look back at from season one to season eight and see how things have changed. And I think the biggest thing that I have taken away over the last eight seasons is that I, I had such a performance mindset when I started a feeling like I I had to always have the perfect thing to say, and it had to be perfectly produced. And, you know, it had to be, um, very authoritative and the podcasts that I most enjoy listening to are the ones that are just genuine conversations. I really love being able to be a fly on the wall and just eavesdrop in someone else's conversation where I can laugh a little, I can learn something. And I, it's made podcasting more fun too. As I've had these conversations, they've really been just more conversational and realizing that no matter where people are in this world, um, because this year was the first time we actually had several international guests, which was really cool. No matter where people are in the world, no matter what life experiences they've had, no matter what is going on in anyone's life, we all share this base human connection. And I think that it's really important, particularly in a world of social media, in a world of work from home, in a world where we are a little more disconnected. I think that it's really important and there's something really beautiful to remembering that we can be connected with each other, that there is inspiration and beauty and joy and community. And I think 
for me, I I'm more of an introvert. And I think for many of us, we kind of view talking to new people or, you know, being in community, like, Oh, it's exhausting. Like, and I'm right there with the biggest couch potato. I love working from home. I, you know, it's not that I don't enjoy being out and talking to people, but I just, I like doing my own thing. But I also think that because we have had so much opportunity to do our own thing, many of us are forgetting to have a proactive role in maintaining community. It was just always kind of there for us. And I think that when we lose that, it's kind of like no longer going to the gym. At first, it feels really great because you have more time to sit on the couch and watch TV and it feels restful and it feels like we're happy, but there's something that is missed in not doing that workout. And I think that just like we need to work our muscles, flex our muscles, we also need to be flexing in community and relationships. I think that it's important. So that is something that I am just very appreciative of, of being able to have these conversations, being able to connect with amazing and interesting guests all over the world and being able to connect with you. I, however many, I mean, however many thousands, I think we're, we're in thousands of listeners to you who's listening, I, I genuinely, I love hearing comments and emails, and I, I really love when the dialogue is engaging. I love to hear your thoughts, to have you be a part of the conversation. So again, anything that you want to share, if anything has inspired or challenged you, if there's anything you disagree with, if you have a different perspective on something, if there is a topic that you would like us to cover, Um, Or if you just want to say, hey, uh, totally cool. Follow us on social media at Embrace the Ish or send us an email at embracetheish at gmail.com. And I look forward to talking to you all in season nine. Success and failure, none of the opposite ends. Curveball hits, gotta know what to been. The attitude will affect destination. And if you determine when you're gonna make it, live between successes, makes life rich. Living every moment, successfulish. Live between successes, makes life rich. Living every moment, successfulish. Hey, successfulish. Another day, another task, think fast with a whole nother mission complete. I'm successfulish. Pick up the weight, press on, and act on the visions to see. I'm successfulish. Sit back and bask in the glory of all the goals I achieve. Successfulish. Lose a stack, get it back. Reinvest hope with then I roll up my sleeve. Successfulish. Another day, another task, think fast with a whole nother mission complete. Successfulish. Pick up the weight, press on, and act on the visions to see. I'm successfulish. Sit back and bask in the glory of all the goals I achieve. Successfulish. Lose a stack, get it back. Reinvest hope with then I roll up my sleeve. Hey. All this weight on my arms need both flex. In this race, but behind need most steps. Had a the learning curve, hope I don't crash. Hit your nerves when reserves got low cash. When I fail, realize that it won't last. You made it through in the past, just look. Back, successful list. You can see how a contrast fails and wins. Use the past and the bounce back. You can never win if you never go and do it. Failure is a hard road, rarely ever cruising. Embracing all my wins with a handful of losing. Expect the drought season when the plan's going fluent. I can never really fail. It's all how you view it. It's all a lesson, just depends how you use it. Get all the data and keep it all exclusive. Never ending journey and the growth is therapeutic. My identity is not in what you see. I am the better me. Mistakes others make, I see. Have a teacher me. Compare yourself to others is an insult to tragedy. We will make unique, gotta use again collectively. Broke down my goals in a few looks. Awesome. Can't take them back cause you already spoke them Easily regressive, you don't stay focused Focus, live between success and moments Successfully, another day, another task Think fast with a whole nother mission complete I'm successfulish Pick up the weight, press on and act on the visions to see I'm successfully, sit back and bask in the glory of all the goals I achieve Successfulish, lose a stack, get it back Reinvest, hope with, then I roll up my sleeve I'm successfulish, another day, another task Think fast with a whole nother mission complete Successfulish, pick up the weight Press on and act on the visions to see I'm successfulish. Sit back and bask in the glory of all the goals I achieve. Successfully. Lose a stack, get it back, reinvest, hope with, then I roll up my sleeve.